telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggyos. Shane Terrio here. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Riff Raff. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Hope everybody's staying warm. Uh, quick announcement. T-shirts. You guys asked for them. Got some great new designs. Riff Raff t-shirts, all that stuff. Visit ShaneTerrio.com. You'll see all the goodies there. Also hit me up on Instagram. Shane Terrio Guitar. Shane Terrio Music on Facebook. Thank you for your continued support. Let's get to today's guest. Excited to have my buddy Joel Hoekstra on here. Fantastic guitar player. Uh, really fantastic resume to match. And he's a member of White Snake. He's also worked with Night Ranger, Trans Siberia Orchestra, I believe this is his uh, perennial gig, which is a really great show. Um, who else? Cher, does the Rock of Ages show. Lots and lots of other people, too. He's had a great career. The thing I like about this episode is that Joel really dropped some wisdom on this episode. I mean, there's some nuggets of what it's like to move to a really competitive scene like New York City and just hustle. And he, he gives good advice for guys trying to get to that level that Joel's at. Top touring gigs, top tier gigs. Full disclaimer, I recorded this last year. The hard drive that the files were on got corrupted. I had to send it off. It had recovered. Long story short, here we are, 2022. So, sorry, Joel. Better late than never. Check out Joel's latest record, Running Games. We're going to talk about all this and more. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Man, Joel, thank you so much. I know you're a busy man. You had like, you said you had like four interviews today before. Uh, well, three. Uh, yeah, I had three before you, but but that's all good, dude. This this is like yeah. good, solid fun. I mean, I've been I've been hearing about you for years, but then you and I finally met at the garden, right backstage. That's right, Madison Square Garden last. Yeah, yeah it's almost almost exactly a year ago. Is that right? Or is it two years? It seems year like ago? it's maybe it's got to be longer than a year, maybe two years. But with Jonathan Kane, right? We were with Jonathan Kane, uh, and yeah, um, that's right. Journey and being Def Leppard, and we went. Yeah, my wife and I went backstage. It was cool, man. It was. Uh, yeah. So and ever since then, I've been following all your stuff, and uh, man, I just got to tell you, start off right out of the gate and tell you what an awesome guitar player you are, man. Oh man, it's, man. it's just so so. Uh, so exciting for me to sit down and chat with you because I'm a fan, you know. I mean, you're you're such an amazing player, dude. Oh, um, well, I really appreciate that, man. It means a lot coming from you. I appreciate it. For those of you listening, I'm sure you know who Joel is, but Joel's had some of the, the primo gigs, man. I mean, you know, White Snake, Night Ranger, Cher. I, I think I joked with you uh, not long after we met because I'd see your schedule. I was like, do you have some kind of time machine where you magically get all your schedule? To, like, you, you'd be out with uh, Cher and then go out with Whitesnake and everything would just coincide perfectly. So you're a busy dude, man, a year or two ago. I was keeping up with your schedule. 
That was, uh, things were really heating up in 2019 for everything. So what happened with that, I mean, in particular, adding share is that 2017 Whitesnake wasn't going to go out. And then I had the opportunity to fill in for Dave Barry on the share gig. And then that ended up becoming more regular because uh, Dave was getting really busy at The Voice. He plays guitar on The Voice okay. with, uh, with Justin Derrico, who Justin is the guy who recommended me to Dave as a potential fill-in because I, I, you know, the nature of being a white snake and being a quote-unquote shred guy scares a lot of people off from having you play like on a normal gig. But um, I've done a lot of different styles. I assured him, I'm like, don't worry, I'll play it down. I'm not going to come in like sweeping arpeggios in the middle of your fair <laughs> gig. Uh, so anyway, that, that, uh, that allowed me the opportunity. All of a sudden that, that started heating up, but that was fine because Whitesick wasn't doing anything. And then uh, 2018, David did a little bit and it just worked out. I was able to get a sub for the share gig and they were fine. And then 2019 was just chaos. Everybody uh-huh. wanted to do a ton. And so I, I did what I could in terms of juggling it. And that that really goes down to just Cher being willing to let me kind of be there when I could that year, which was super nice of her. Um, but I was only making like half of the shows. Um, that was, uh, it wasn't, uh, as they say, sustainable to be able to juggle all three. And yeah. then Trans-Siberian Orchestra, White Snake has just kind of helped me out in steering clear, um, except for our, my very first year of touring with them. Um, so that's kind of my, that has to be my annual tradition, my two months of touring with that. I don't know if you remember the heavy metal band called Sabotage. That's yeah. really, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is basically that band. And then what happened is it became so popular that it was like, hey, we need to maximize the amount of shows we're doing around the holidays. So let's split this thing two ways and then we'll get other players to come in and fill this thing out on both sides. So I'm one of the players that fills it out on the east side. Um, where Al is the music director of the West Band. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a great opportunity for me to get out with uh, a bunch of guys in the band who now I've worked with them 10 years so that I enjoy are my good friends. Um, and it's a very unique situation where you work really hard. Um, but they have a great fan base and they have these signing lines that you do at the end. So you really get to know these people. There's people that come to multiple shows and, it's just, it's a, it becomes a tradition, you know, and it was really weird not to do it this year, but it's such a great gig, man. It, it just, uh, you, you play two shows a day, really Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and you, you get on the bus and just go, I mean, how, how is that possible? We just played two shows for 18,000 people uh, yeah. uh, at a clip, right? And yeah. Like, man, really I just popular. spent five hours on stage today in front of that many people. So I say that's a it's a great opportunity for any guitar player. Let's face it. I mean, how many get to do that? Plus, be in an environment where I I genuinely enjoy all the bandmates. There's no uh, animosity, and everybody's good people there. So, yeah. good good scenario. Well, I was uh, you know I was reading up on you a little bit the last couple of days, getting ready for this. I didn't realize you went to uh, GIT. What what year was that about roughly? I'd say ninety ninety one. I believe is the year. Yeah, it was around the yeah. same time as me. Yeah. So um, who was your private teacher while you were there? Did you have a private guy, your once-a-week guy? Uh, Craig Turner. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember him, but I remember the name. He was kind of like a a Randy Rhodes uh, type of cat at -hmm. the time. So I think they they definitely just were like, hard rock guy, and they put me with, like, the Randy Rhodes guy. (laughs) And, I I mean, back then – I was pretty young when I went there. I was 19 and and I do regret not taking full advantage of some of the instructors that were there. I, I was I did pretty much stick to the rock guys cuz I I think I was scared, you know, like to to uh step in and play stuff that I didn't know and they, those those rooms were intimidating, those open counseling rooms and I always felt like if I went into the jazz one, I was going to fall on my face and and you know, yeah. it just I had a tough time, although I do feel like a lot of the fundamentals I acquired there from like Norman Brown doing his, his R&B stuff um, and Ross Bolton, uh, a lot of those guys, I managed to be able to hang with them and, and they made me feel comfortable. So certain some of the guys there were better at that than others. Some of them just flat out scared the shit out of me. Like, you know, the concept of going in and sitting in with Scott Henderson in there was always scary. I remember that. I remember doing that, but it took me six months to work up to it. And 
I'd uh, I'd sit with him and on it was Thursday and Friday from eleven to four, and uh, yeah, I'd sit in. I if I had a good day and he was cool in a good mood, man, my weekend was set. I felt like a you know million bucks. But sometimes he could be pretty. <laughs> well, yeah, he could cut people down. I've seen him cut some cats down big time. So you really had to have your shit together. Yeah, uh, Scott tells it like it is. You know, he's uh, he's always been super, super good to me, Scott. Um, we we got to know each other after GIT, so I never did it. I just absolutely never went in to play with Scott because I was like, I, this is just ter- too terrifying for me. So never did it. But um, we ended up getting to know each other through TJ Helmrich. Mm-hmm. Uh, because TJ is one of my first teachers. We go back to me being 14 or whatever, wow. maybe, maybe even younger, 13. He taught me how to bend. originally from Iowa? Born in Iowa, but uh, immediately grew up in the Burbs of Chicago. So as, as yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, that's Tommy Bolin, uh, Tommy Bolin land. Yeah. Somewhere in yes, it is. Yeah. 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 How long ago did you move to New York City for that area? That was, it's been a while. Uh, top of 2001. So almost okay. 20 years now here. I can't believe it. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I just left there. Um, good for you. You're happier now, right? I, I liked New York. I did. I just, I didn't see it as sustainable for me and the things I had going on at the time, but I love New York. I mean, there's no place like that, that city, man. It's just sort of addictive. It's exhilarating to wake up there and we're probably around the same age. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, you were a product of a lot of this, my same influences too. Like, you know, probably Van Halen, Randy Rhodes and Vi and, who else? I don't know. George Lynch. Is that, am I ticking off some boxes there? Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, I mean, I started out, uh, ACDC is what made me want to start seeing Angus Young, all that energy and all that. I was just like, that guy's cool. My parents were classical musicians. So they had me going on cello at three and piano at seven. And, you know, I was not into it. I was like, I just want to play baseball. Leave me alone. <laughs> and uh, then I saw Angus Young and was like, hey, I want to play guitar. And I think my parents were picturing like Segovia in their minds. They're like, okay, great. So started out uh, shocking them immediately. You know, I got, got this great teacher who taught me rock songs. And um, it was very much about, I, I was pretty narrow-minded out of the gate. Well, extremely narrow-minded. I mean, I was into ACDC, Black Sabbath, Ozzy. Iron Maiden, Scorpions, and that was kind of about it. And then from there, it started to branch out as I, I, I guess I just always could realize from the time I was a kid, who, who are the bands that actually have talent and who can play? Mm-hmm. And then as I got better on guitar, that became what it was all about. So mm-hmm. from there, it just became obviously like listening to lighter bands where with more melody involved, like the aforementioned journey or foreigner or Boston. I mean, I love those bands, those, mm-hmm. uh, bands like rush. Yes. Those were huge influences on me. Uh, Pink Floyd, you know, David Gilmore. I mean, geez, man. Uh, so all that stuff, uh, had an influence on me. And of course, growing up in the guitar era where we were open-minded to anybody who was basically proficient. So, uh, growing up listening to all styles really with that. I mean, I, w- I was listening to everything and got my Abersold tapes and learned how to, you know, yeah, well. how to play jazz and took classical lessons and did my two years of college with that before I went to GIT. And, um, 
So while I'm a novice with all that stuff, I'm glad that I have experience with that. And that ended up really paying off for me. I, I think you know, I got out of GIT and Nirvana hit, dude. So that whole like right. idea of 80s rock just was like it was gone. Yeah. So that that set me off on a path of uh, just learning to be uh, a well-rounded musician who could do anything to be valuable. So uh, I had a very strange path to where I am right now, where I think a lot of people just think, well, the guy's played in hard rock bands his whole life. I mean, I, for a time, was the bass player in the Turtles. You know? Are I mean, you serious? Wow, that's like really strange wow. stuff that people don't necessarily realize. I mean, I, I grew up... Uh, playing in a wedding band for a little period too in Chicago yeah. and just doing, learning to play everything I could. And in New York here, backing up tons of singer songwriters on acoustic gigs and right. um, just learning to be the guy that could write the play the right part and write the right part on the spot, kind of be a session guy. Um, I mean, I've been in acid jazz bands uh, back in Chicago playing that's that style of music and um, uh, hip hop, uh, acts out here were opening for the roots and ludicrous and i had a residency with them as well i just go play once a week with this hip-hop group and i just i mean that was all about being extremely minimalistic just playing once <laughs> once in a while with a cool effect right. um but uh, I, as i said a very strange path that sometimes i need to reassure players like yourself who you're known as like you know this amazing player who can play all these different styles and um and then what took off for me is kind of what got me started, the guitar hero kind of hard rock shred thing. But then I, I don't know. I, I like, I like people to know that I can do more than that. Yeah. There's all these, I, and I, you know, I, I'm sure I'm explaining it to somebody who knows it all too well, but it's kind of like you get these series of breaks that happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. being in Chicago and joining Kathy Richardson's band. And that was the first time where I was playing for bigger crowds locally in Chicago and at the same time, then uh, starting to do sessions for Jim Peterick, who eventually yeah. eventually that became my pathway into Night Ranger because I was in his house band for World Stage, and Kelly from Night Ranger was a part of that every year. So that's what opened the door there. So Jim Peterick, for people that don't know Joel, just to interrupt for a second, um, he's a big time songwriter. I mean, he's written a lot of hit songs. He's Chicago based, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but who, like, who are some of the people he wrote? Like, what what are some of the songs? He's really well. He founded really the uh, Ides of March, so he wrote Vehicle. Everybody knows that yep. song. And then he founded Survivor, so he wrote all those hits, including yes. Survivor. That's right. That's where I know his name from. Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger, and and then he wrote. Um, heavy metal uh with sammy hagar for the movie and he wrote those 38 special songs like hold on loosely and caught up in you um so yeah really great writer and good friend uh, i owe a lot of it to jim i mean so all these things kathy to jim and then jim that grew into night ranger kathy got me this gig with a theater piece called love janice that was a show about janice joplin she um she was janice and that led to me being in the band. And that was the first time I was a full-time performer. That happened at the age of 30 for me. So I came to New York to do that gig. And I wasn't supplementing it with teaching like I'd always been doing. I was teaching, up until then, teaching 70 students a week and just kind of taking off when I did gigs. Um, which was you know, like one or two a week, pretty mm -hmm. much, back in Chicago. It's not like I was one of these guys like, hey, I'm gigging five nights this week. I just would have my gig on the weekend or whatever. Right. Um, so at that point in time, that, that led me, so I, in a way it's love Janice, which is a strange thing. People wouldn't, but, but I guess from there that led me to doing other theater in New York. And that led me to rock of ages and, um, doing Jim Peterick's house band led to night ranger. And I would say night ranger really led to white snake and, and share kind of came in a weird way through being in white snake. And so all these Trans-Siberian Orchestra, I would say, came from me being on TV with Rock of Ages. And I think being in Night Ranger definitely helped. But both of those yeah. kind of led to me getting that gig. So it's just been this series of steps. So it's and, and I encourage any young musician out there to look at it that way. You just do the best you can uh, with every situation to let life guide you. Don't try to be too specific about what band you want to be in 
or uh, how it has to happen. Just remain open-minded to how things are going to happen. Just do your best in the moment. Yeah, um, that's great advice. I'm sure you've had this experience too, but I tell younger players that, hey man, you know, don't underestimate anybody you may be, be on a gig with because I've had experiences where in the middle of nothing like going on and somebody would call me and go, Hey, this is uh, Steve, blah, blah. And I'll go, I'm sorry, uh, how do I know you? Yeah, I was the percussionist on that showcase we did four years ago, blah, blah. Anyway, are you available for, because really it's a small world what we do. And after a while, world, word gets around. I can kind of trace, I feel like I can trace all my gigs back to doing something that made absolutely zero sense to be doing. Um, so I, I mean, with the Peterick thing, those world stage gigs were scenarios where I would play 36 songs and he wouldn't want charts up there. So you'd have to memorize 36 songs over the course of like three weeks. And I'd fly into Chicago cause I was here doing love Janice for some of it, for the ones that kind of led me to night ranger. And I'd play the gig yeah, like I'd land, go set up, sound check, play the gig. 36 songs and and I look at the amount of hours that I put into that and I'm sure I was earning about 10 cents an hour. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But that led to Night Ranger, right? So eventually yeah. you get these things where you go, okay, yeah, but look, there was that huge payoff. And then me doing Rock of Ages, that really came through my friend JJ McGeehan here in New York, who's a, he really is a, a Broadway guitar player, like plays in, in all the shows in the pit. And he lives just a couple blocks from me here. And he asked me if I'd ever want to sub for him. And I was like, man, I, you know, I haven't done that kind of stuff in a, you know, reading down a whole 300 pages of sheet music in a very long time. I, yeah. and he was like, don't worry, I'll get you audio, get you the book. You can work on it. Let me know when you feel ready. And so I would just learn whatever book he had mainly as a, a challenge to myself for, to keep me sharp on my music reading and, um, just to see where it would lead. And I guess being in New York, you go, Hey, maybe, maybe I'll end up being a pit musician as there's mm -hmm. worse places to end up. Those are great gigs. Mm -hmm. You know, they pay, pay well yeah. and it's steady. So anyway, through that, to your point, uh, the, the keyboardist on one of the books I, I learned was a show called Tarzan. So I subbed in the, the pit on that and the keyboard player on that, Ethan pop became the music supervisor for rock of ages. So, and again, this stuff with JJ, I mean, I'd get in once in a great while. I mean, he had a lot of subs. I'd get in, make my 250 bucks or whatever so after weeks of work. So again, you're five cents an hour or something at the end of the day, right? Just craziness. But that led to over six years at Rock of Ages, me doing that, that crazy moment. And uh, so I think you just, for me, the work creates work. So if you don't, if you genuinely don't have work that pays more in that time, then just do the work anyway. And if you have, eventually your life will get busy enough that you can say no to things and say, well, I, and be genuine about it. Not like I'm too busy and then go watch TV, but genuinely be like, I'm too busy to actually get that done. If you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be an accountant or an engineer, I, you know, those are probably way more useful positions than what we do in life. But, um, but my point is, is uh, that I'm trying to make is that there's a clear path. Like you go to school, you get your four-year degree, you go get a master's, you go, you know, to pre-med, you do, there's a path that eventually if you bust your ass enough and study and you, you can do the work, you will be a doctor, you will be an architect, but musician, it's like, well, there's no clear path. It's just, you have to have enough balls to, move probably move to a place where things are happening or if not like you said do with play with who you can that people are around you and just kick ass you know hopefully people uh take note i mean there's no clear path so it's yeah i would say in the end that the hard work thing uh, for me is what i i hang my hat on i think the the ability to do that learn all those songs for the peter gig and that is genuinely what got me the audition with Night Ranger because it was a gig. My audition with them was a gig and they were going to, uh, coincidentally enough, my bandmate Reb Beach in Whitesnake was doing the gig at the time, right? Because they uh, parted ways with Jeff Watson and Reb was doing the gig, uh, but was eventually going to have to step away um, to go back to Whitesnake. And they there was a gig that they had where he had a conflict. He needed to play with Winger. And I had 
told Kelly like, Hey man, you know, give me, give me a call if you, you need somebody. And next thing I knew they were like, Hey, you know, they didn't want to cancel the gig. Kelly told them, well, there's this guy I know who's crazy enough to learn. He does it for Peter. He'll learn all the stuff and come in on no rehearsal and play the gig down. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize, Hey, they, they don't want to fly out and rehearse for a week. Nobody wants to be bothered with that kind yeah. of thing to do. Um, I mean, it was just a casino gig. It wasn't like, you know, playing Madison square garden. So <clears throat> that's, that was really my path in there was being the guy who was crazy enough to do that work. Um, and would be willing to do that work for the opportunity to, to, I guess, be seen or be heard or to, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, and again, same with the, the subbing in the pit. So uh, the, that hard work thing, man, it's, it's hard to beat that in the end. I think if you can do that and be naive enough to find some pleasure in where you are, which I look back and I always did somehow, I was always excited about all this stuff. Yeah. Um, even though like all my friends had good jobs and were, you know, the people that could go to the family get togethers and their parents would be proud of them. And, and I, I was like the guy going in there who was like teaching guitar at a local music store, doing gigs on the weekend where people are like, what's he ever going to do with his life? Uh, yeah, but somehow yeah. I was happy, you know, I was like, don't, it's all good, man. Like, so, well, you, you're talking about, you know, being crazy and naive enough to do that, but you're, you know, that's kind of humble because just to be in that just to have that skill set to be able to knock that down and learn all those tunes and go in and you know that that knocks out a lot of competition there i've been in that chair too i've i've had to do that with artists and and a lot of people don't realize the bigger artists they don't even really want to rehearse they don't want to go through cattle call rehearsals if you can make their life easier that's a long way to going towards a gig i mean obviously they know you can play and you know, had a cool look and everything else, I'm sure. And they're like, well, if this guy can learn it, he's got the gig. And that's that's real life usually. I mean, I, I don't think, don't you think, Joel, that those kind of gigs they pull from inner circle or referrals more than just yeah, a Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's why I think that, that series of baby steps, because you're always going to be hired from the similar circle. The best you can do is kind of move slightly up. You're never going to go from playing in your mom's basement to playing in U2. I mean, it's just not going to happen. You yeah. know, you're, you're going to work your way up and it's, uh, <clears throat> and I, obviously I'm, I, you know, no, <laughs> just using U2 as something that's top level. That's, that's all I mean yeah. by that. But yeah. Um, I, I just think you have to kind of work your way up and have fun along the way, do the best you can at every turn. And like you said, there's no clear path. So if you just do the best you can at, at all these avenues, and if something continues to open up, then great, that's where you're meant to be. for a second here you know i have people ask me a lot like hey man what's it what's it like to stand next to blah 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 well he's or what's it like to stand next to daryl hall when you sing and sarah smile but i want to ask you what's it like to stand next to david coverdale when he starts belting out still of the night and you rip into that riff i mean that's got to be the first time you did that it's got to be a pretty cool yeah absolutely man i i mean i feel like that's the story of the last 12 years for me is, is this opportunity to play with a lot of people that I started out idolizing as a kid. So um, it, yeah. it's really great fun for me to have the opportunity to, to play with them. And David is definitely one of them. I mean, I, I, he, and he's, for me, uh, he's a great boss. He's a great bandmate and he's a great friend. Uh, I think uh, I'm just really, really 
pleased to, to work with him and work for him. He's, he's a good dude, man. I mean, I yeah. think David just really wants professionalism and I, I do the best I can to do that and work hard. And, um, he's very just clear about everything. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of, uh, you, you always know where David stands on all these things, right? Which is what great. a great snare, man. Yeah. Wow. And what, and what, you know, a legend, he's a legend. So, I mean, it, it, we can go from one minute hanging out where I, I start to forget that he's the icon he is. Cause we'll just be hanging out, having a good time. When we record, we have a band house that we, um, we all stay and David comes down from his normal house and stays there with us when we're tracking. So it's kind of like you're hanging out and you're having that band, uh, just, you know, a bunch of guys hanging out thing. And, and then, but then all of a sudden he'll start talking about, you know, when he worked with Jimmy page or when he worked with Richie Blackmore and yeah. that's where you're like, Oh yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. You're a yeah, rock legend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, he's, he's awesome, man. I, you know, can't say enough good things about him and the opportunities he's, uh, he's given me, man. Does, uh, I guess Tony Katane doesn't make any appearances these days, but, uh, um, maybe John Sykes does though. Or do those guys get along? No, David and John have—they've not seen eye oh, okay. to eye for a long time. But the other guys, yeah, very much so. I mean, when we go through the Netherlands, um, uh, uh, Adrian Vandenberg always comes and, and plays with us, uh, which is fun. Sits in with us, and uh, Vivian Campbell got up with us mm. and played Still of the Night with us. That was a great fun night. Nice. Wow. Uh, uh, Bernie Marsden, the original guitarist, gets up yeah. every time and, and plays with us. So, yeah, I mean, in general, David does really well with everybody. I think that um, uh, David and John, for whatever reason, it's yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's happens. like that, right? That happens. Man, let me ask you this story. Tell me if you've ever heard this. It, this is something the listeners might find interesting. Um, I had read, I'm sure you know this, that – Vandenberg, back when Vi subbed for Vandenberg, I guess early 90s, that Vandenberg found this, um, Adrian Vandenberg found this book by a Russian pianist of hand exercises. And one of them was to take your wrist, let it go limp and sort of whip your wrist. It was like an exercise to develop hand strength. And what I heard is he messed up his wrist. It couldn't finish the record. That's how Vi got called. Is that true? I remember that. I don't. I don't really know the specifics of that. I'm kind of in the same boat with you on that. And I and I've heard David mention it a time or two. I think Reb one time was stretching his hands or his wrists, and he said, "Don't do that." That's Adrian hurt himself doing that. Oh wow! Wow. Uh, so I, so I I think so. And with Night Ranger, did uh. Did you have to learn all those Jeff Watts and eight finger guitar technique parts? But you do a lot of that anyway. I mean, yeah, seen- that was that was me being extraordinarily lucky because I, as I mentioned earlier, I had TJ Helmrich for one of my early teachers. I mean, I, I was, I need to think about how old thirteen when I took from him, and he was teaching me how to bend, but he was developing that eight finger technique, and I think basically so he could practice during the lessons. <laughs> he was showing me eight fingers stuff. So I had, I had no business learning it. I mean, I was probably, I just needed to learn how to play like good solid guitar yet. But as you know, the cart was in front of the horse for many during the eighties. Um, yeah. Anyway, TJ got me started with that eight finger technique very young. And I can remember learning that rock in America solo and practicing that in my bedroom, like looking up, trying to look away from my guitar neck, make sure my right hand could land in all the right spots. And, I was doing that when I was, I'd say, 14. So it was a very, very strange thing to all of a sudden have this opportunity to play with Night Ranger. And I remember having my guitar in the backseat going to that gig. Brad was up front, and we were riding in the, with the guitar tech, right? So from the airport to this casino. And Brad said, you know, when it comes to the eight-finger thing, just do whatever. You know, if you can do some tapping there. I was like, no, no, I got it, dude. And he like, he looked back at me like, yeah, right. And he said, go ahead, get, get your guitar. And I, he's like, let me see it. And I did it for him. And he was like, I could see at that point his eyes lit up that he was really like, wow, okay, this dude can do the the eight finger thing. That's awesome. So uh, that just turned out to be a very strange thing that that worked out for me. Yeah, I've seen some some video of it. And, and Brad Gillis is a great guitar player. I mean, people don't realize, man, he stepped in right after randy rhodes in a pretty really volatile position and and you know everybody was 
just ready to cut his head off. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, uh, he, man, he killed that record. Speak, speak of the devil, is it called? The mm-hmm. Ozzy live record. Yeah. Man, he nailed it. Yeah, Brad. And, Brad's a very lyrical player. Um, just great with great with his hooks and melodic lines, and just has his his own thing going on. And he's very easy to be in a guitar team with because he's so identifiable. I mean, when you when I go in as a Les Paul guy, okay, so do some of the pentatonic stuff like Jeff and some of the picking and do some of the tapping stuff. Well, guess what? None of that is what Brad's doing. So it's it's very easy to put on a Night Ranger record and go, oh, yeah, I know who's playing what. Yeah, I always wanted to know what your motoring meant. Is that, it must be some California jargon or something. I never knew, but, uh, you know, Sister Christian. Yeah, that uh, that was Kelly's sister. Um uh, the song is was Sister Christie, but when he was oh. saying it, I think the guys misunderstood what he was saying, and they said, "Oh, I thought you were saying this whole time you've been singing Sister Christian," and then they went, "Hey, well that's cooler. Let's call it Sister Christian." And then his sister's yeah. pissed off. <laughs> what about my song? <laughs> so anyway, that that's really the story behind that. And wow, uh, I think the the motoring thing was just out cruising in cars, like you know yeah. when you're. When you're a kid like hanging out looking for guys if, if you're uh, his sister and if you're us looking for yeah well let's uh let's talk about your record man i checked out a couple of tunes i i um i was checking out that song uh how do you this morning what- everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What a great song, man. It's oh. really rocking. Thanks, man. I think this is... The beauty of these is that I, I wanted to make something that sounds like a band, but finally be the guy who does all the writing. So I write the lyrics and the vocal melodies and everything and um, and not have it be like a instrumental record. I put out some instrumental records years ago with, you know, Virgil Donati playing drums and, you know, real fancy kind of rock fusion stuff. And then as as my career kind of took off a bit with this Night Ranger, Whitesnake, and TSO, the fans were like, they're buying my solo stuff. And they're like, um, uh, yeah, you got any, got any rock solo albums? And, <laughs> yeah. and so I thought, <laughs> I thought, well, yeah, that would, make, that would make sense. And it was always something I wanted to do. So I sort of set off on this. I made Dying to Live. I gave it a project name, Joel Hoekstra's 13, because to me, a solo album would mean like, hey, I'm singing it or I'm playing guitar all over this. Um, But to me, this sounds like a band. Uh, The difference being is that I'm doing all the writing. So that wouldn't be be fair to those dudes to call it a band name. Um, So there you go. Hence the name. And uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's about the songs with this and just getting back to that uh, 12-year-old me, what I wanted to hear in terms of 80s hard rock. I, I heard that, man, all over it, that tune, How Do You, great chorus. I think it goes to like a minor six or something on the chorus. Really cool. Caught my ear. Thanks. So uh, who's, uh, who's on the record? I know Tony Franklin uh, and on bass from, man, The Firm. I remember The Firm. Yeah. Wow. The Firm and played with John Sykes in Blue Murder. That's right. Um, so yeah, Tony, there, there's another guy. Yeah. You're like, okay. You're hanging out with him and he starts talking about Paige or Paul Rogers. Oh yeah. Well, let me shut up right now. <laughs> uh, so I, it started with him because we had just finished this project called VHF together that I think three or four people bought. It's uh, like psychedelic instrumental rock. And um, from there, Vinny Apice uh, he, Tony recommended him as somebody who would fit with this project. And I thought, okay, so that sounds really perfect because that takes me back to being a younger me listening to the Holy Diver cassette. And I thought, okay, great. And I can write some Dio-ish kind of tunes here. And then right at that time, Russell Allen, who's the singer, uh, was joining Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And I went, wow, this guy can sing Dio. He can sing Lou Graham. He can sing Paul Rogers this is what I want because I didn't want to just do a straight up like one dimensional kind of metal uh, album. I wanted to have some of that, I guess, more 
melodic are i guess blues blues based rock as well in there right i mean the foreigner yeah, uh, yeah. foreigner bad company white snake so russell can sing all that stuff really really well and then my friend uh jeff scott soto does all the background vocals for me is kind of a favor. He did sing lead on the last album for half of it as well. Um, that was one of the critiques I had was like, you know, pick a singer. So uh, went with Russ. Man, that's a hell of a background singer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like to call him the world's most overqualified background vocalist. <laughs> so he's uh, just a good friend and we, we've worked together a lot. So he doesn't take offense. And he honestly has a lot of irons in the fire. He needs another like lead singing project, like a hole in the head. So um, <laughs> he was perfectly fine with it all. Um, and, and with me, it's more like, yeah, I could sing background vocals on it, but what's going to be better having Jeff do this? Yes. So let's make this a great album more than uh you know i guess satisfy my own ego and i did it i did it i mean for me it's the opportunity to write the songs i'm i'm obviously in white snake uh trans siberian orchestra white snake i get to contribute with guitar riffs that's basically uh -huh. your role in terms of the writing right tso i'm not a part of writing the material uh night ranger i was kind of a little bit a part of i mean we would do some collaborative efforts and certain songs i would write like maybe half of the guitar riffs and that would be like two or three of the songs on each record so the, for me to be in this scene and constantly deal with people saying well he's just this he can't do that was at a point that becomes annoying because it's like look man i've been writing my whole life i know how to play <laughs> you know right. many styles right. of music like so for me there's a little bit of justification in it too and just being able to say yeah here these are songs that i wrote and uh, that gives me the opportunity to feel in charge, I guess, for a minute and be the boss of something that Absolutely. sounds like yeah. a band. That separates the sideman from, I mean, you're more than a sideman, you're a band member. Um, that's what people don't get sometimes, you know, it's usually not like that actually. So, but yeah, I'm glad, man, you, you have the artistic, uh, you know, the, the conduit, man, to, to be able to, to express yourself like that, because sometimes with the bigger gigs, you don't necessarily do that. But uh, Yeah, I, I guess uh, the instrumental albums and these are part of the legacy you leave as like, well, I was more than a guy who had some gigs, right? Um, at least in terms of what you hope it'll be. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe that's delusional, but for me, that's, I think it's worth something in your, your body of work in your lifetime to be like, yes. And I put this out. I don't want to be just known as like, you know, Oh wow. That guy, he was, he toured an awful lot with all these acts. And so, I mean, that's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm blessed to mm -hmm. have all that, those mm -hmm. opportunities, but I, I guess doing something creative as well. Yeah. Boy, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say goodbye. You're pretty much a Les Paul guy, right, Joel? I mean, most of the photos I've seen you. I really with. have turned into that, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it took me a long time, man. I grew up as a kid playing all those Floyd Rose guitars because I was into the 80s stuff. And um, so I had a Kramer and a Jackson and that kind of stuff growing up. And then I became, uh, in the Chicago scene, playing with Kathy Richardson, a more of a Telly guy and a Strat guy was doing lots of that um and that was what i was taking to you know do those wedding gigs and stuff like that it was never a les paul and i ne i never understood the les paul thing when i was young and then i got that gold top that everybody sees me with to date and i was like well what the hell took me so long here it's like it was it just instantly became my thing like i i just felt like this is the guitar i prefer over all my others and um yeah i i have a i have a hard time getting into other guitars these days 
Is that gold top you're talking about? Is that the one um, that was in that video online of you playing uh, Jane with Mike Portnoy and a couple other guys? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, that sounds great, man. That's uh, a great cover. Oh, thanks, man. That was Dino uh, sings with TSO West. Okay. So a lot of us uh, meet in TSO, as you can tell. I mean, it's like I, I really got to know Jeff better there and Jeff Scott Soto and Russell I met there and, and Dino. So... Yeah, it's a great it's a great opportunity as well as just to get no get to know other musicians. They hire um, very talented people. It's just awesome at rehearsals. We're all in there together, so you get to hang out for a couple weeks. And um, Chloe Lowry also sang a bit on this record, and she's amazing, amazing female vocalist, and she can mm -hmm. really just sing anything. So. Uh, TSO has been great for that as well, not just the tradition end of things for me and um, having a, a great gig every November, December, but to get to know all these musicians. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, um, and you're doing a bit of teaching right now since no touring going on? Yeah, a lot, man. It's a lot. It, it's, uh, it's been a weird thing. I go and I used to do a ton of it. And then from 2001 all the way basically until now, I was doing none of it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's really weird for me to dive back in and go like, well, here I am. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm doing 30 a week right now on Skype. Wow. And then I'm doing uh, some master classes here and there for Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp and a couple other outlets. Nice. Uh, doing cameos, like those personalized greetings where I play for people. So that's the kind of stuff that's doing like paying the bills and make sure yeah. that my uh, my savings account doesn't dwindle away during this time period. And then obviously finishing the record and playing guest solos for people, which I, I, I seem to have a pretty regular flow of session work. It, it comes in fairly regularly. I'd say two, three a week, but not enough that if I was like, Hey, I'm only going to pay my bills this way. I'd still be just like, you know, hemorrhaging money. It would be not good being in New York city. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but doing that is cool. Writing with people. I'm writing with Jim Peterick uh, for an album he's producing right now. Um, so, having that stuff going on these, those quarantine videos you mentioned, all that stuff is kind of the, the story of the, this COVID era for me. And uh, I mean, it's obviously it's a step down from like getting paid to travel the world and play for thousands of people. I mean, it's hard to beat that as you know. Um, but it, at least I can look back on this time period and be like, right, I stayed busy. I did the best I could. I kept moving forward. I haven't just turned into the guy who's like, all right, I'm going to hang out and just wait till touring starts again. Yeah, it's definitely been a silver lining is is allowing me to expedite this this album and, and get it done, freeing up everybody's schedules. And um, yeah, I, I'm just excited to have it see the light of day. It feels, I guess, for these little moments, that's as close as we get to performing right now, releasing original music. And it's like a little bit of uh, adrenaline over what are people going to think of it, right? Or yeah, uh, I guess the, the dopamine charge you get from social media of people saying, great album, right? That's as close as we can get to applause um, being on stage right now. Exactly. Yeah, it's such a weird time. But Well, Joe, look, man, I really appreciate the virtual hang and your time and um, good luck with the record. Uh, everybody check it out. They can hit you up for lessons. If I don't even know if you could take any more students, but I'm sure your website has all your links and stuff, but I look forward to crossing paths with you sometime when we're out touring, man. I'd love, you know, yeah, man, I do. I, I'd love, I'd love to love to connect on some music at some point, man. You're that would be great. You're such a great player. I'd, I'd, uh, every time I, everything I listen to you, I'm like, man, you know, that's what I should be doing, man. I should be, you know, no, no. it's like that, but that I, I like that because that's when people ask about, you know, who you're influenced by, it's usually stuff like that for me these days. It's not like firing up somebody's album and listening for uh, an hour. It's not like the old days for me anymore. And I, with social media, yeah. I'll click on something like that and I'll, you, you know, you, you influence me with that stuff. I'll hear it and go I'm like, man, that's great. Like you're such a great pocket player, dude. That last clip you played of the, that the, the, you posted of the trio that I commented on to you when you were. Oh yeah. That's something we Yeah. Oh, thank uh, you, man. Just, I appreciate just it. Just fantastic playing, man. Really great stuff. So, um, yeah, just know I'm I'm an admirer, and your uh, your positive influence on me when I hear that stuff. I'm like, Steve, oh, no, I, I got to get that yeah. together, man. I got to get my 
It's funny. People think of me as a, uh, I don't know what they think, if they think anything, but sometimes I'll get, you know, yeah, you, you've got that, uh, you're a funk player, you're a fusion player, but actually I'm more of a, you know, I'm a rock guy, really. Yeah. You know, I just kind of got into these other things, but. Uh, rock guy with like was, Supreme Pocket, dude. I mean, the Pocket. Well, that was my baby food, you know, all that kind of Lynch and Demartini. Well, I was into into jazz at the same time. I guess it's what makes it different, but. Uh, well, I think that, I mean, to, to hold on that, that Hall & Oates gig, man, is, I mean, I don't know if, I mean, I, I think that musicians definitely know, but I don't know if fans know, like, what kind of talent is happening there. But that's some, like, ridiculous skills in that band. So you got to be a top-shelf player to be in that band, man, for sure. That's, that's no joke. Those dudes yeah. are the real deal, you know? I mean, great, yeah. great songs yeah. and great players. And I mean, there's just a lot of talent running through that music. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. And I'll tell you what, I'm in New Orleans, and I think it's actually colder here than where you are in New York today. Oh, gosh. Plus, plus it's probably, you know, 60, 70% humidity outside, which makes it more like a Chicago winter, <laughs> which I know about those. <laughs> but listen, bro. Um, enjoyed it i'll send you a link when i get this done and i'll put some of your music in there and uh, everybody check joel out check out his record everybody check out running games yeah. and uh yeah man thanks again for doing this joel my pleasure bro thank you i i really appreciate you asking me and, and great to hang and, and get to know each other a little bit and, and look forward to crossing paths again dude <laughs> There you have it. If you're still here, thank you for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that. Everybody check out Joel's record, Running Games, joelhoekstra.com for all the happenings. Give me a like on iTunes if you like this podcast. Riff Raff, thanks for joining me. See you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.